Thank you for downloading this episode of the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. This is episode 27. I'm Michelle Donkin. And I'm Andrew Allen. And what did we do this episode? Well, we uh, have been recording every single episode of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe uh, at the Sweet Grass Market at the Apex Hotel. And that's particularly relevant in this episode. Yeah, because we spoke to J.D. Henshaw. Yeah, and so we're talking about all things sweet. We're talking about all things Festival Fringe. We're talking about... Well, not all things, but not quite a lot of things. A lot of things. It was. It was. It was good. We 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 did good to keep it under an hour. Yes. Yeah, and so it's uh, very lovely, very busy, very feisty, mm. and uh, we hope you have fun. Enjoy. So here we are at uh, the Sweet Grass Market, uh, where we've been doing a lot of our, in fact, all of our interviews uh, for the Edinburgh Fringe 2017. Um, and our guest in this section is um, somewhat connected with um, Sweet Venues. Hello. Hello. It's uh, nice to be here. And uh, you are? I am JD Henshaw, and I'm the artistic director of Sweet Venues. How long have you been the artistic director of Sweet Venues? I have been the artistic director of Sweet Venues since 2009. And um, so this is, this is a, a somewhat special year for Sweet, in that you've been based at the grass market for some time now. Yeah. Uh, but um, your empire is expanding. <laughs> empire. Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> yes, my imperialist tendencies are famous. Yeah. Um, yes, we have expanded this year for the first time in Edinburgh and opened a new site, which is... Uh, just a little bit down the road at Holyrood, uh, so very near the Parliament. Yes. And for those who are fringe goers, about five minutes away from places like Pleasance. Yes. And stuff like that. Oh, I've heard of Pleasance. So some people have. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I've heard they do some things. But they they have. I I I I I've 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 seen people go in and out. Um, often. Not always at the same time. No, um, no. Uh, hopefully not too immediately. No, no, no. We wouldn't want that. No. Um, so it's this is the inaugural year for the uh, Sweet Hollywood. Yes, yes, it is. And you've been having some sort of exciting stuff to sort of whet our appetite. There, there's there's a with a performance, a show, a, a, a happening that's uh, 250 hours long. Yes, that's right. Adventure is Wanted, which is a 250-hour role-playing experience. Yes, where you can go and watch. Or on very limited tickets, in fact, play oh, fantastic. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um, at an hour at a time. Yes. Um, some people obviously book in for longer yeah. so they can play a longer game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a bit mental. So ten wh- hours a day. Wh- it is a bit mental. So what, what was the logic of booking, booking that? <laughs> logic. Um, this could be some logic in your plan. Oh no, there's not really that much no, logic no, okay. in the plan. It's all about um it's it's about doing things that I think are fun and relevant and interesting. Yeah. I'd rather be interested than commercial. Yeah. To be honest. That's and a good slogan for your business card, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I I gave up on that trying to find those money-making shows or find that show with the hook. Was there a catalyst for that? Was there like a, a, a Damascus moment? Yeah, that? yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a couple of years in Yeah, and we'd done that thing where, oh, that's an interesting show title yeah. oh, and I, I, I like the themes there yeah. and that could be... And you are, you're trying to oh, trying to think you're so grown up about it and yeah. make business decisions so, about art. 
that doesn't work very well. And what I found was a lot of the shows that were pitching themselves as being obviously commercial yeah. just never really got the traction, traction that one would hope. Yeah. And the shows that I'd selected out of gut yeah. did. Mm. So, yeah, gave up on the concept of trying to figure out the rules of whatever the game is, because yeah. there, there isn't really one, and that's that's part of the point of a fringe, ultimately. Yeah. Um, no point in the pretense of that sort of big boy trousers, we've got to take it all terribly seriously, yeah. um, and find these things, and just go with heart, and the things that made me excited, made the performers that made me excited, and book from there. Yeah. Something that we've noticed uh, about Sweet, I mean, we've had some limited experience with other venues as well, and this isn't particularly a comparative thing, but uh, my response to Sweet in terms of what I'd, we call the Sweet family, i.e. The, the people who are on your box office, people who are um, calling the shows and stuff, they're the same faces that we might have seen last year, or yes. the previous year. And I don't know how relatively rare that is on Fringe, but it seems to me it's reasonably rare and that you wouldn't, um, a group, a venue wouldn't necessarily have that amount of returning um, people. It seems that people are very loyal. I think that we have an incredibly high retainment rate of our team members, our family. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think a lot of venues retain like their higher tier staff, management staff, course, things yeah, like that, yeah. people sort of buy in. Yeah. Uh, but we retain staff that are here doing box office, front yeah. house, so essentially up and down that ladder. Yeah. And, and you know, they're, they're coming back for a month of lots of responsibility. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But they don't have a year-round responsibility no. to the venue. Um, but they do have a year-round love of the venue, yeah. which is wonderful. And hopefully that means we're doing something very right. Uh, I wanted to bring those two points together when you're talking about gut when you're booking and that sort of sense of family in suite. How often do you find that it's the meeting of the people because obviously you're getting people who are international you're you're getting people who are up and down the country so I don't know necessarily how often you get to meet the people before they're setting up in Mm. one of your venues but how important is it or what good results have you had when you've actually met somebody and they're talking about their crazy ass project that's clearly going to fail but delights you anyway (laughs) Um, do you know we've had a lot of great times just out of that and I think yeah. sometimes it's the best times yeah. um, I remember a few years ago watching a comedy act uh, that was performing at Brighton French yeah. and uh, it was before we'd begun doing venues down in Brighton Yeah. and I was just scouting I was just mm. looking for acts that might want to come and take a chance on sure. Edinburgh yeah. that they'd sort of discovered through the course of doing Brighton that they had that piece of work that was actually really going somewhere yes. and they maybe thought they'd missed out on an opportunity to be here and I was out trying to sort of angel some shows from Brighton yeah. up to Edinburgh um, and it was a three hand comedy show and they had the worst hour of performance <laughs> ever uh, I wa- they, they just all died on stage the audience didn't want to play everything that could go wrong in a comedy hour went wrong Fantastic. Um, they just the audience just stayed cold with them for the whole time yeah. and they just couldn't get anywhere, no momentum at all. We then sat after that and spoke for two hours. Yeah. 
Um, and you know they were gutted because they'd invited me and this was yeah. to be their thing and they were coming to Edinburgh to get this right they were getting an yeah. Edinburgh venue um, so I booked them <laughs> because the two hour chat was amazing Yeah, they were brilliant and they talked through what they were trying to achieve and I could see what they were trying to achieve was there on stage yeah. they just had a bad night Yeah, that's everybody has a bad night yeah and they they knew what they were targeting. We chatted about the things that didn't work. Yeah. That sort of that proper. Actually, that bit's never going to work. Yeah. Structurally, you've got a problem. Yeah. Um, we did all of that, and it was lovely, and we all got on really well. And at the end, they were just sort of doing that whole thing. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Sure. And not thinking I was going to book them at yeah. all because yeah. It, yeah, it had gone wrong. Yeah. Um, you'd kind of already decided at that point. About halfway through that conversation, yeah, yeah. I was sitting going, yeah, this is happening. Yeah. And, and they came up, and they had made changes, yeah. and they were stronger, and they were ready for it, and they'd thought about everything that had been good and bad yeah. from their previous runs, and they had a great fortnight, yeah. and did really well. Their numbers went up and up and up as they went on doing it. It was fab. <laughs> I was, and we've remained friends ever since. Excellent. So, yeah, it's wonderful. You've mentioned uh, Brighton, because um, Sweet isn't just about uh, Edinburgh. No, no, it is not. It is everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, that sounded a bit more threatening than then. Um, yes, so we've got permanent space year-round in Brighton. Yeah. Um, we do an awful lot at Brighton Fringe. Yeah. Um, we also operate some other sort of mini-festivals throughout the year in Brighton. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've got co-production deals with uh, Dundee Rep, which is Scotland's only repertory theatre. Yeah. Um, and we also produce work in other parts of Scotland and elsewhere because obviously we specialise in pop-up at Fringe anyway which yes. allows us to turn up and create theatre spaces as unique moments so we, you know, we've built theatres inside car parks yeah. things like that Yeah, yeah. Um, when you are because now you know I'm going to say this word to you and I'll lock you in the eyes when I say this word and you're not going to smirk or laugh in my face now that you're a professional Hmm. 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 Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's your professional. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it's like um, somebody who loves food becoming a chef uh, and beginning to sort of hate food or forget why they got into the gig. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were younger, when you were, you know, just starting out on this, what, what, what did you get a kick out of when you went, went through those doors to see a show or went to a fringe show? And is that still the case now, or do you have a bit of a and this isn't a criticism, but more of a colder eye. You, you can see a product and go, oh, that's fine. Or do you still get a, a kick out of stuff? Ooh. <laughs> this is a toughie. We can, um, we can edit out your hugs if you want. I have been told... <laughs> I have been told by people that I have gone into view their show or that I've actually been producing or directing their show that I am the hardest member of the audience <laughs> ever because I sit with a face that is just <laughs> stony watching a show. Um, I typically always advise people that if I lean forwards, I'm at the very least interested whilst I'm watching. Um, that isn't to say that I'm not sitting there going, wow. Yeah. Uh, I've but you're working. I, yes, and I don't think I particularly remember a time that I wasn't. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, before I was doing this, I was an academic. 
I used to teach English at university, yeah. and I was doing all that, and that was that was the original plan. Yeah. I, I was going to become a, a doctor yeah. of English and continue from there and teach, and yeah. that's all about analysing and tearing apart and doing yeah. all those things. And then, obviously, eventually, I just ran away and joined my own circus. Yeah. So showed how well I was doing with oh, yeah. that point of authority. Um, But yes, if I'm watching a piece for the first time, yeah. when it's, and especially if someone's invited me to see a piece, something like that, well, you've invited me. Yeah. You want me in the room for a reason that's more than just my pleasure. Yeah. And yeah, I'm going to sit and enjoy. But if you've asked me to be there, well, then you want me to say something at the end of it. So yeah. I have a responsibility yeah. to a show. I think So I think that's changed. I, I don't know if that makes me more professional or not, but I'm certainly... I feel responsible because someone's going to ask me an opinion that they've already placed a value on. There's somebody in the back room of your mind making notes and... Yeah, and thinking, what can I say that's constructive and helpful? Because I don't want to just turn and say, oh, I don't like it and leave. Yeah. Um, I equally, and just as importantly, don't want to go, well, that was very good, and then leave. Yeah. Because I think that's equally pointless. Yeah. Just gushing and loving a piece with no feedback is just as equal a waste of time as being dispassionate and cold about it and walking out with, yeah. with a oh well done yeah. um, you've got to try and give something back um, I've had a few conversations about that this fringe the people have asked me you know what do you do when you don't like something hmm. um, I think you've got to be incredibly careful yeah because if it's someone's first show and it's not worked properly yeah. that doesn't mean the second show is not going to be wonderful no and I think if you lambast or come at it just being negative without any effort to try and find the things that were working or were good or at least had passion yeah or a core idea and give them that back but still be honest but you know you don't have to be mean no about the things that didn't work then then that's that is our responsibility that's absolutely yeah. categorically our responsibility yeah um there are people here risking constantly um, I'm not going to get into a financial conversation yeah. you know it's a pay to play festival so there's obviously financial gambits yeah. on the go yeah. that's me just saying something that everybody knows but creatively everybody's risking and yeah. the time the money all of those things that have led them here it's still to then risk their art Yeah. Um, whether they're realising that whether they're calling it that that's not the point actually um, but we have a responsibility, certainly from a venue production level, from being involved in the festival as a stakeholder, if yeah. since that's a word people like to use for it. Um, we have to respond constructively. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I've always watched with that eye. Um, and when I was just a performer, whatever that means... Yeah. Um, before I got into venues well you are watching work but you're still critically engaged with that work because you're making work Yeah. and as a creative if you're not looking at work and thinking about it well that's a bit weird even when you're sort of um, even younger watching a film at the age of eight you go oh why did that yeah that might just be us being precocious that there is that yeah actually precocious isn't it has a negative connotation that isn't necessarily what should be attributed to it no so here's an overly simplistic question following on from that what is the Edinburgh Fringe? (laughs) (laughs) What is the Edinburgh Fringe? 
Well, Andrew, the Edinburgh Fringe is an open access arts festival. It's the largest in the world, and it's currently in its 70th year. Um, You're being deliberately facetious, but that's probably the only answer that works, really, isn't it? Because uh, some people sort of think of the Edinburgh Fringe as the end game, of that's what they're moving towards. Oh, God, it's not the end game. It's never the end game. I'm aware. That's the worst attitude towards it. I'm aware, anecdotally, that's what so many people do think that it's literally that's the summit of their goals yeah. when no. it's yeah indeed not categorically not and must never be this yeah. is a major step in your journey yeah um, I'm not convinced I'm not convinced that it should be anybody's starting point yeah um, I think I think it's a very tough environment to bring my first show mm on its first ever outing. Yeah. It's relatively untested and I've never done anything else. Yeah. But I've been told that Edinburgh Fringe is where to be. I think that is also not to say that this is a place that you cannot bring immature work to. Mm-hmm. Work that is still needing to develop. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bit of a dangerous place to bring work in progress. Yeah. If I'm honest. Scratch work, things like that. Um, because the reviewing environment is very mature. Yeah, and could ju- they'll come in and criticise you in the same way that they will criticise National Dance Theatre, sure. things like that, and that's quite a dangerous, even playing field. Mm. Um, I think this is the end goal for bucket listers. Yeah, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. I have always wanted to do the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Yeah. That's cool. And I think those people should turn up because yeah. they want to have that amazing life experience. Yeah. And they go away and they've never really necessarily had an intention of coming back. Some of them get bitten by the bug. Yeah. And that's cool. That's really exciting. And so for them, it has been a first step in a journey. And that's unusual, though. Yeah. Um, but I think in general, this is um, a touchstone point in your journey. Yes. It's a milestone. Um, it'll probably be something else if I find the word stone that can come after that. Um, being here though is a major developmental stage for a company, for an individual for a script it is you know, I would always advise people coming to the Fringe to try and do as long a run as they possibly can because the boiler room environment that you get here the opportunity for utter strangers from anywhere in the world and there's an amazing moment that piece of work that you've written that you thought was sensitive and on this and on that suddenly gets exposed to people from other countries with different cultural thoughts and they can rip open something in your show that you didn't know was there which is scary and brilliant and all of the moments in between Um, you'll never be able to rent your local theatre for 25 days straight for the price that you can be here so the buy-in whilst yeah I know people talk about the expense of being in the fringe and I don't argue that it is an expensive thing Um, you know just having a flat to stay in obviously is wildly expensive Um, but 25 days of doing a show to a potential audience to an international audience not your friends and family yeah actual strangers who will respond to your work yeah and the response on day one will not be the response you get on day 25 no and that's wonderful yeah that is so exciting that I don't think there could be a greater excitement about creating work and I mean 
by day 25 it may be that you realize you hate the piece you've brought yeah um, or you may realize that all the things you thought you loved in it weren't the things you loved in it it's all these other bits so but the things you've learned about that work then yeah um, and you know I always say a, a bad experience is sometimes actually more valuable than an incredibly positive one because yeah. having some constructive criticism leads you to new stages of that development of your work yeah um, and hopefully good or bad that's what you will get you will get constructive criticism you'll get raw audience reaction whether that is applause or maybe you're lucky and you get that church moment yeah whatever it is that comes um, raucous laughter whatever it is you're looking for yeah and it is that sort of thing isn't it of um, people we, we, we are recording this on the 22nd um, of the month and there are a thousand performers um, in the city that might appreciate the, the gentle reminder there are so many customers who have just arrived this morning who yep. have no conception that you've been performing for 21 plus days and don't frankly care no they don't care um, actually that's the thing because they're here on day one yeah today is they're fresh as a daisy day exactly, one yeah yeah um so we we have to hurtle quickly towards the end uh oh of, no of this interview um we, we could we could we could get you within a regular custo- uh, customer uh, regular <laughs> customer wow um leave your money by the uh, bed um <laughs> Well, this uh, podcast has taken a turn for the more interesting. Absolutely. Um, but we're going to end with the three questions that we uh, normally ask. Um, okay. we, we should acknowledge, shouldn't we, that um, here at Apex Hotel, uh, sweet uh, venues, grass market, we, we've got um, we've got housekeeping in. Um, so what you hear is a hoover. I don't know what it will sound like on the recording, if it sounds like... Just, angry bees. Angry bees, that's where I was going to go. I don't think angry bees. Irked. Irked bees. Irked bees. Bees that look at you and say, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. Yeah. yeah passive-aggressive bees. Um, Arguably the worst kind. Yeah, wasps. Um, but in the... Um, I don't want to sting you. No. You, you were here. But both sides are to blame. Um, <laughs> it's a multifaceted conversation. Um, so... Um, are there shows in the Fringe this year um, that you are, to use that phrase, irked that you haven't had a chance to see, or shows that you're excited to see, or shows that you've heard good things about? So we are we are tiptoeing dangerously close to the question of what are your favourite shows, uh, which I'm sort of cautious to ask a venue manager that because that puts you in a bit of a a um, interesting position uh, but are, yeah are there shows that you're, you're hearing about or shows that you are, would be excited to see or shows that you're annoyed that you can't see ultimately I'm annoyed about every show I don't get to see yeah um, I have a list as long as your arm of shows I want to see for loads of reasons yeah. um, some of them are even because I just want to watch something for enjoyment yeah yeah I do do that yeah um, even if I have got that stone cold face that <laughs> makes you think that I hated it really the concept of anybody being born um, that's not it honestly I'm enjoying myself um, I'm, I'm smiley afterwards your flirty face must be on point oh yes um, yeah I could just start reeling off shows that so, I want to yeah, see yeah. and that just becomes a bit of a burgeoning list yeah. and a bit pointless and a bit actually reductive because it just becomes words it becomes a show salad yeah. and 
there's lots of work that excites me for different reasons. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be in the venue game if I wasn't excited by largely all work. Yeah. Um, when I get time to see a show, I just feel privileged that I've managed to get to see yeah, something. Sure. Yeah. So picking a show is actually very difficult for me. Mm. Um, obviously, obviously, there is a lot of shows around our own venue I want to watch. Yeah. That's why I booked them. Mm. And that is the, the golden rule. You know, everything that's here I've booked because I want to look at it. Yeah. Um, and that's sometimes a really complicated moment when someone's disappointed I've not managed to yeah. see their show. Yeah. And it's just simply, well, I've had to do all the really dull admin so that your show can run. Because in the two venues at Sweet Head this year at Edinburgh, how, how many shows do you have? Or how many shows throughout the month do you have? Um, 75, 80? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So it literally, uh, allowing for the fact that you're the venue manager, you couldn't even see two shows a day. No. Even that alone is going to be impossible. No, it's impossible. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Utterly impossible. And it's heartbreaking, actually, because I've spent months looking yeah. forward to these shows. Yeah. And then when logistics kick in, it ain't going to happen. Yep. I've... It took me about a week before I could see any shows. Yeah. And there was a day that I tried to see three different shows through the course of the day and didn't get in. Yeah. Not because it sold out, not because I couldn't obviously, you know, have a slight advantage. I can put a stool in and sit at the back and yeah. do all those things because owning the place helps with yes. that. I can sneak into a show. Yeah. Um, but literally about to walk into a room and I get pulled away to do something. Yeah. And that's okay. That's the job. That's, that's yes, indeed. my role. I'm here to make sure things run well and people have a good time and get a great experience. But it is galling because, yeah, this shows that I've now finished, that yeah, I was in a queue to see and I didn't see them yeah. and that was my one chance. Yeah. But it's just the way of it. It is just the way of it. Um, so every year I have a list of shows that are lost to me and people tell me we're wonderful and I go, I'm absolutely convinced they were. Yeah, yeah. That's why I booked it. Yeah. <sighs> so we've um, we noticed down at the, the uh, sweet duke box at the Southern Bell uh, that when we uh, do like a, a cast iron night, even though we select the plays, there is despite our best intentions, a theme will come up. There will tend to be um, plays that discuss dystopian or whatever, even if we didn't realise that. And so there'll be there'll be themes or genres yeah. that um, pop yeah. up throughout the entire evening, um, even though that hasn't been intended by us. Does that happen for Sweet at all? Has it happened for like this year in terms of oh, there's a lot of shows that are discussing this? It does happen. Yeah. It happens across the fringe actually. Yeah. Themes develop. Um, and they're not always the themes you expect. No. Because um, often people will sort of like force a theme. Like there's a, there's a few um, shows this year about, about Trump. Uh, yeah. And, and, and clearly that, that's an in but that's a, yeah, that's a clear the thing. But you're talking more about sort of accidental themes and oh yeah absolutely you suddenly realise I mean, we had one year at Brighton Fringe where we suddenly realised it was just not to be maudlin but there was a sort of recurring theme around um, death and the assisted nature of death yeah. it wasn't a deliberate booking strategy I, I didn't sit there and go do you know what it's euthanasia year that's what I want to do yeah. that's not what happened at all and the work comes to you and actually sometimes it's not until you're in that third conversation that the the full depth of where they're going yeah. with that structure yeah. and they go, well actually this is what the show is about yeah. because you've been given a brief synopsis and it maybe hasn't really touched on that, mm. that oh well it's about that time when yeah. and 
you've gone quite far down a booking process before someone's having that conversation yes. with you about the sub-theme, the, the underlying yeah. mood. Um, I had one year, and I, I, it, was, it was 2013, actually, because we'd run a, a mini sort of festival within the festival, which was our 13 for 13 strain, um, strand, rather. And it was... We ended up with a lot of dark theatre, that yeah. fringe in Edinburgh. I hadn't gone looking for it. And yes, I, you know, and I appreciate anybody who then looks me up will see I have a penchant for horror theatre and that sort of thing. I yeah. run a horror festival. But we hadn't been looking. We were just programming absolutely normally. Yes. And we just had this sudden thick vein of not necessarily horror, but just all edging into the shadow yeah, a little. Yeah. And we're like, well, this happened. Yes. So we want to cultivate we that. Embrace it. And that led to us probably booking that extra couple of shows to get up to the 13 so yeah. that we could make that. It's 2013, we have 13 dark pieces of theatre for you. Um, which was great. Yeah. And yeah. Wonderful and very organic. Yeah. And you've touched upon the Horror Festival, um, which is um, it's in the days leading up to Halloween. It certainly is. Um, Funnily enough, just to show that I do like a nice gimmick of a number. 13 days 13 days um, and that's the, again down in Brighton yes yes that's at the end of October so what, what's, what, what is that what is the horror fest um, it is a celebration of horror theatre and events yeah um, but as a festival so very deliberately we want to have shows there that are family oriented yeah S- storytelling you know ghost stories for kids things yeah. like that as well as yeah obviously 18 certificate in your face yeah dark stuff um, last year brought in an awful lot of shows that were and you know I sometimes wonder if it was a bit of a mistake in some ways that were on those sort of alternative sides of horror Yeah, and I maybe didn't have quite enough in the programme that was just sort of this is a monster show Yes, and I, I perhaps screwed that up a little bit yeah. and didn't give enough to that Again, though it wasn't entirely a deliberate act, it was just the work that came to me was yeah. alt horror, which someone tried to pitch as a concept, which is a nonsense. Um, <laughs> this idea that somehow horror is changing—it's just no. It's just horror is a really broad church yeah. for places to express uh, ideas and emotion. But um, yeah, I think we ended up with an awful lot of sideways yeah. of tradition horror at the horror festival last year, and we will again this year. Yes. Um, but hopefully we'll have a, a little bit of the the classic the expectation, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. Um, if Universal Pictures can ransack their own yes box, then we we can ransack our own box. That's There's a lot of box ransacking. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, Cast Iron did present uh, their horror piece last oh, year, which was the, the box. box. I, I genuinely um, forgotten that. There's a there's moment a of uh, Andrew stealing from himself. Wow. <laughs> genuinely forgotten that. I'm getting very old. Um, so, um, the other question we tend to ask uh, on the podcast is the likelihood that when you were a kid or when you were younger, you came up with an idea for a thing, maybe an invention or a book or a story that you didn't do anything with, and that somebody else got to and became famous. You know, you, you might have invented the internet or something, or ah. you might have um, come up with the uh, the plotting of Game of Thrones or something. Um, 
has that happened for you? Ooh. I don't think I've ever seen something quite so grandiose as like an entire series where I've sat there and went, that's my thing. Yeah. Um, I've absolutely watched some mainstream, big budget, big audience shows. Yeah. I went, that episode is that thing that I wrote yeah. that time. Um, or that character is someone sure. that I've pitched yeah. before. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of times. I, I did once have a whole pitch for a, a for a comic book thing. Yeah, and then yeah, Marvel did it. Ah, and that was that was two years after. I'd, you know, one of those things that uh, one day I'll get that finished and yes. I'll get it pitched in. And then you go, oh no, there's the thing. Yeah. There is actually. So I suppose I've seen it once. Actually, a full a fully formed concept yeah. and conceit, and. It even used some of the characters I wanted to use. So it was like, at least sorry, well, it was a good idea then. Yeah. I, I take solace in that. So procrastination is the thief of everything. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. That is exactly it, isn't yeah. it? You just sit on it and go, oh, it'll eventually be ready. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then you're not going to be the only person who comes up with no. that idea. I think that's a silly thing to have in your head. You're yeah. not the only person in the world that will come up with yeah. that concept. Ideas are cheap. Um, what is it? Um, Oh, we had a very lovely line when we were chatting about writing a couple of months back, and um, ideas are unfaithful. Ideas will sleep around. Oh, yeah. Um, you need to sweet-talk it and make sure the idea stays with you. Absolutely. And commit to it. Um, which is ideas are like cats. Yeah. But that if, you, if, if they scratch you, you might die. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Um... And they'll fit in the corner. We love them. They want us to love them back. Yeah. Yeah. They're not giving they're not giving you that affection in that sense. They're turning up. And, also, and they're there and they say, right, do these things for me. If you don't do these things for me, I will find someone else who will. And crucially somebody else will feed them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I had a There's a metaphor right there. I had an ex of mine and her their family cat just wasn't their cat. <laughs> You know, he had a name yeah. that was their human name for the cat, yeah. which was not the same human name that was actually his name. Yeah. And then when the cat sadly passed, several families in the area were all terribly upset <laughs> at the loss of their family pet, um, up to and including the people who'd actually bought the cat in the first yeah. place, which was exciting for them, I'm sure. Yes. Um, but yes, he just sallied around, had many homes, luxuriated, and it was explanatory really that there were many homes by his size yeah um, but <laughs> yeah there it is and I think ideas are like that yeah yeah. the last question that we tend to ask people on the podcast um, which considering that you, you're you've still got um, sweet uh, having a base in Dundee you yourself are a Dundee boy yes uh, but you spend a significant portion of your time in Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Fringe yes and I imagine you that not always in the fringe as well. You, you're probably here mm-hmm. times throughout the year as well. And so we tend to ask where people tend to hang out and chill and you know work on their big idea of books when they're writing uh, their big idea of books. <laughs> the big idea of books. You heard it here today first, folks. That's Andrew Allen's big idea of books. That's what. That's a little more next hour. Uh, <laughs> Twenty eighteen. Um, so we are tend to ask people where they, you know, they tend to chill out and have their big book of ideas. 
I'm, you missed the strain in his face to get I'm, that I'm phrase out. I'm having a stroke. <laughs> um, and, and of course, it may be that you don't often have the opportunity to, es- to escape your own domain. But are there places in Edinburgh that you like, you like to hang out and sort of go, oh, this, this feels like home, this feels like where I'd go to eat or have a, a coffee, whatever? In Edinburgh, um, the spaces that I like to hang out are the spaces that I've created with my friends yeah. and I'm lucky to have a lot of people I call friend. Yeah. Um, performers, people who work at the venue, who yeah. the majority of the people who work here with us also yeah. perform and have been involved in theatre yeah. for a long time. So, yeah, Edinburgh, because Edinburgh to me is a place we come to create new things. Yeah. And some of that is also new spaces. It's, it's odd. It's, Edinburgh's quite an ephemeral place mm. for me. There's, there's two Edinburghs that I visit. Yeah. This is August Edinburgh, yes. where we change what Edinburgh has inside it, yeah. which is a very odd idea. You were talking about um, earlier about the, uh, the logo, um, the 17th anniversary logo for Edinburgh. Uh, talk to me about that. The the, the, the loops and whirls of the, the fringe print. Yeah. And how, you know, the, it's, it's a lovely idea, isn't it? The, the, it talks about unique identities and all that sort of thing, which is marvellous. Um, but I also quite like the, the fact that obviously the, those loops and whirls sort of represent Edinburgh itself. Yeah. The, the way the streets intersect and move around each other and you yeah. suddenly realise you're underneath where you thought you yes. were and all that sort of thing. It's, it is... Uh, it's a liminal space. There we go, folks. Yeah. Let's get into our our deep theatre words. Uh, but it, it, it's a devastating cliche to, to invoke um, she who must always be named. Uh, uh, but there is that. You can see where Diagon Alley and that sort of whole Hogwarts oh, yeah. comes from. It's clearly the street, as you say. I mean, it's, taking, it's still taking me now, on my fifth year of being up at Edinburgh, of, oh, that door is actually right next to that. My wife do an 18 minute journey. It's actually right next door to one of them. We've been doing this, me and my own theatre company, uh, me and Ian, we talk about it all the time actually, uh, Ian Martin. And he's always astonished at the point where he turns a corner and realises he's back at the flat and yeah. he didn't realise that that street connected yeah. on too. Um, Edinburgh's a bit strange that way. Mm. Nothing quite works the way you think it does. Yeah. The geography of Edinburgh's because it's all these loops and winds. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's a lovely place. Well, that we we couldn't end on a more pleasant point about how, how to get lost in Edinburgh. Um, but you'll always get found again. It's we'll, okay. We'll always find you. Someone will find you. Something will find Edinburgh. Will find you. And on that sombre, dark <laughs> note, the hor- the Horror Fest is in October, yeah? October for Horror Fest. Okay. Uh, Edinburgh will be there too. <laughs> uh, JD Henshaw, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Presented by Andrew Allen. And edited by Michelle Gong. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter cast underscore iron acts on facebook ironclad cast iron all one word our website is castironbrighton.weebly.com subscribe to us and rate us on soundcloud and itunes thanks for listening